So basically there's this sex worker in Russia who was, um, whose client was one of Russia's richest men. And so she kept posting photos of them together on Instagram thinking that like, and then basically she, uh, like she unwill unwittingly is that the word yeah, that'd be she the ba- one. she basically sorry english is my second language um unwittingly just like uncovered all this shit about like him this guy meeting with like american trump advisors and then like in the same instagrams that would be like appear like putin's advisors and they were all like in the background and they all like, like this one politician i mean opposition politician connected all the dots and it was insane so like what he was t- he was taking sex workers to his private meetings yeah so basically he would have he was like you on sound this surprised yacht in norway <laughs> so i don't know is that is maybe that is something russian billionaires it's Any insane billionaires. So this, this woman was taking selfies on a yacht in norway and in the background of a selfie there was this like russian billionaire and putin advisor and it was like it was insane it's literally the most insane thing i've ever seen please please tell me there's a selfie of her doing duck face with donald trump jr in the background wearing an I Heart Crime <laughs> t-shirt. <laughs> but it's almost like, it's almost like too perfect. <laughs> I, I I really hope that in like one of the backgrounds of, of the pictures, like there's like, like someone is like, like gesturing from their penis to indicate like peeing or whatever. <laughs> like, no, I, I want this, this. <laughs> but like, it, but, but it's always like in the corner of a reflection. Like for example, there was uh, like the patriarch of the Russian church that he had a publicity shot and it was a publicity shot in him and a Rolex and they were like fuck we need to photoshop out the Rolex so they photoshopped out the Rolex but the reflection of the Rolex was still in the shiny table so his publicity shot is him sitting at a table without a Rolex but the, the reflection still has a Rolex in it. This seems like they're basically borrowing the, the PR strategy of celebrities of like having stuff hidden in their Instagrams yeah, 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 yeah. so they're like yeah yeah we want the fans to go through this. <laughs> Product placement yeah. <laughs> Welcome to this Monday episode of Trash Future, the podcast about how the future, if we don't implement fully automated luxury gay space communism, will be trash. When you're listening to this, I will not actually be sitting at the microphones. I will be on a ski holiday and I will have published this via Podbean on their scheduling feature. Um, Did you get sponsorship from Podbean? Yeah, are we, is that we doing that? Oh, I'll bleep that out. Oh. <laughs> um, we use a non-branded <laughs> podcasting service. Who am I joined by from my left? Uh, my name is Olga Kak. I'm a comedian. You can find me on Twitter at Rock and Rolga. Uh, I'm Luke. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I'm Bad at Life, which in retrospect, I really should have changed at some point, but I'd never got around to it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and, and and in the ball from the greatest distance. Uh, that's that's me, Marlo Evers, coming at you live now. For, well, actually not live because you'll be listening to this on a recording. Um, from from California. Uh, I'm I'm here in a in a normal country where people aren't obsessed with machine guns. Definitely. And making her triumphant return. Hi, I, I'm Abby at Abby Wilkes on Twitter. Currently from London, very soon from DC. Not at all scared. Wait. Getting shot to death. Just like like almost like every week, a bunch of a bunch of dumb shit has happened. You uh, say over the last week, it's over the last twenty four hours. Valentine's yeah. Day. It's also like every day since now. <laughs> Gary Marshall's Valentine's Day. <laughs> yes, that's right. This is the Valentine's Day review cast where we release a new episode every week reviewing another minute of Gary Marshall's Valentine's Day. Well, before we jump into the, the horrible shit over the last twenty four hours, how was everyone's Valentine's Day? I did an escape room. 
no, I, 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 um, I, I cleaned a flat and then ate pizza with my husband. That sounds pretty good. It, 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 it feels like a sort of like appropriately bleak first married Valentine's Day. It's going to be cleaning from here on in. Yeah, I did nothing, but I did end up in a cafe where there were uh, two children who I had to leave the cafe because there were two children who were yelling uh, Alexa to stop the music, even though it was a cafe in public and obviously there was no alexa oh my god I, I thought that was just a twitter joke it's real it Fuck absolutely you. Happens. <laughs> and they replied please like share and subscribe yeah that's i mean that's what you say before children go to bed now right like share and subscribe you too dad hey guys i'm so sorry i know i haven't been away a long time and i've been getting a lot of tweets and dms asking where i was <laughs> dad i haven't seen you in four years <laughs> 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 oh, I mean, he's just going off offline for a while. <laughs> oh, it's the new gone, gone to go get cigarettes. Sure, I've seen my dad in person, but where are the tweets? You know, my dad's on Twitter. I won't say who he is, but um, I follow. Is he Trill? Is he? I follow him, but he doesn't follow me back. Um, did you guys see the um the guy standing as a Republican for Congress or something, and his parents donated like several grand to his opponent yeah. he basically he there's this guy he stood as a democrat in like 2000 and did like a speech to like democrat thing about like how he was like super in favor of like a woman's right to choose and stuff like that and then now he's gone completely the other way and it's like really pro-trump and his parents keep donating to his lesbian opponent <gasps> it's beautiful God, oh, wow. divorce will do a hell of a thing to your brain <laughs> like, i don't know that he's divorced but i'm this is a man who has seen the inside of a lot of family court buildings <laughs> he's just an enthusiast he's like <laughs> It's like the bridges of Madison County, but for divorce court. <laughs> That's the only thing that would like cause you to stand for for political office and then like have your parents donate to your opponent, right? Is if your parents are now better friends with your ex-wife than they are with you. Oh my God, so true. Oh yeah, there was another, another thing. Um, before we get into the, uh, the actual rest of the content, there was one, one speech... Uh, I did want to read. Uh, a journalist says to the Foreign Secretary, Boris Johnson, Foreign Secretary, what do you say yeah, to those still, people... Still gives me the chills. ...to people who say, yet another speech on Brexit, but where's the clarity? Boris Johnson, the carrot? Journalist, no, the clarity. Boris Johnson, clarity! Okay, God, carrot, carrot. Well, as I say... I think you have an abundance of clarity in the Prime Minister's Lancaster House speech. What I'm trying to address is a feeling that I pick up talking to people that they're not getting the message, the positive agenda. I think there is a great positive agenda, and we need to get out there and explain it. And it can be good for carrots, too, by the way. All right, you didn't actually mention carrots, but we can take back control of our agricultural policies, <laughs> and it may be that we can do wonderful things what with, you know, fuck? our own regulations to, you know, promote organic carrots. <laughs> This is this is the closest Boris Johnson has so far gotten to literal steamed hams. Good God, Boris, what is that coming from your speech? What that? No, it's a Aurora Borealis. <laughs> Can I see this positive message? No. I just I, I figured we'd be remiss if we did if we didn't go into the um the carrot <laughs> the, the now famous carrot speech. I don't, I, don't, I don't think like any any Tory journalist managed to pretend it was good, which is actually quite an achievement. The eternal yin and yang of the universe. There are some people sitting in the telegraph office right now thinking, fuck, how do we spin this one, lads? It's like, fuck, we lost Harry Cole. He understands the importance of being able to see in the dark for when society collapses and there's no more electric light. That's my, in fact, actually, I'd like to announce this on the show before we do get into the actual content. 
because uh, that's not where we are now, um, is uh, please, uh, I would like a tracksuit. It's my pin tweet. It's all I want. So... Uh, do you have any specifics? Do you want an Adidas one? No, it's in, it's in, it's my Amazon wish list consists of one item. Uh, Fila? Uh, it's an Adidas. Yeah. It's an Adidas, uh, black, three stripes, track suits. Can I, I, yeah. would, I would love a track suit. Can we get those 1980 Soviet Olympic team ones? Can we get those with our names on the back? <laughs> That'd be amazing. I want the one that, that they wear and like, uh, American footballers wear the ones that you could just like, because it's all like buttoned up down the side, so you could just rip them off yourself. I think that's my oh, like Chippendale style. <laughs> American football with the stripping, you know? <laughs> so help us, God, we will not stop releasing this podcast until someone buys us a tracksuit. Can we get Hussein a juicy tracksuit? <laughs> <laughs> but you also need a body pillow one as well. You need, you need to get his body pillow a tracksuit, yeah. which is an Adidas three stripe pillowcase. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, what happened is as Milo Hussein and I are the most cursed. We were walking down a street and then like an, like an old mysterious woman asked us to help her carry water for her. And we were like, no, we're busy. And she was like, I curse you. I curse you to put out. And then out did a- you say, is it raw water? <laughs> I curse you to put out a podcast once or twice a week where you just did, where your brain turns into soup and you'll only be freed when someone buys you all track suits. I actually want my tracksuit to be made out of white Coke, white Coke shirt fabric, like money bags, <laughs> fancy. Yo, so did you know that uh, uh, just uh, segueing like a fucking personal transport vehicle? Did you know that uh, Jeremy Corbyn is apparently a communist and has been for a while? The Sun told me this today. What? He's a communist spy. For- that yeah, apparently um, Cor- Corbyn just had a conversation with a guy. He was a Czech diplomat in the 1980s. Well, a member of parliament, um, and that, and that this means that he is somehow uh, still feeding information about you know Britain's incredible military might uh, to the Soviet Union. I mean, that makes sense to me. Well, I mean, something which Jeremy Corbyn definitely knows about. Did you see that the guy, the ex, the expert um, that the son got was kind of denounced by the CIA for being basically a fantasist for not not because he he accused a different like he accused a labor mp of being a spy in a book and <laughs> the, CIA, the cia said that his conclusions were not necessarily you know they didn't not necessarily backed up by evidence or something along those lines uh, also he he also said um a few years ago or no no last year i think that theresa may was as much of a threat to national security as he believed jeremy corbyn is so the guy's just sort of like Overexcited. Well, he's basically like he's basically like the British version of like the most sort of Russian troll obsessed brain adults. Yeah, he's American Eric Garland. Adults. Eric Garland. He is. He is Eric, he's basically <laughs> Eric Garland. It is Eric Garland. The created Eric Garland. It's time for some. <laughs> it's time for some check theory. Yeah. So, oh. <laughs> playing checkers. <laughs> that was the game question. Have you guys seen Eric Garland's um, exclusive Twitter account where you can um, you pay money to subscribe and then you're allowed to follow his private Twitter account where he does even better. Oh shit, is that where he posts his nudes? Oh <laughs> my god. He posts he post the takes that are too hot for the main timeline. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Eric okay, Garland. new request, <laughs> buy Trash Future a subscription to his private Twitter account. Oh was, my god. I was, yes, thinking, please. I was thinking I might subscribe and then make a Twitter account where I just paste all of his tweets and quote my no, oh, you, you could you could do the thing that, that people did with uh, Kanye ages ago and just end all of his tweets with Liz Lemon. Yeah, you should definitely do that and then charge people like a tiny bit less than he does. <laughs> the free market. So the um, 
the thing is the uh, this this article in the Sun. It like most articles in the Sun. Like a couple of weeks ago, there was one where they tried to own him for having a diesel car provided by the government, um, which was hilarious. A uh, Jeremy Carbon diesel, they said. the fuel uh-huh. of communism. To be fair, that is a pun that's worth. <laughs> yeah, they had that on the back burner. They They're like, like, finally. Fine, fine. <laughs> They were really hoping it was going to be something like he engineered a carbon dioxide leak into like a, a nursery. But these are no, the same thing. Same thing. Yeah. Um, no, but in, in the context of this, uh, a certain a certain Robert Colville or Colville, Colville, a certain Robert Colville, uh, the director of uh, the CPS think tank and editor in chief of CapEx has written us a very, I think, sobering thread. Um, it's an incredible thread on 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 stuff about about Jeremy Corbyn. Um, Wait, before we do that, can we talk about the, the, the actual Sun report and what the, like, the official spy thing that came back, like the thing? Because the actual, the actual line that like, they have the reports from the Czech spy, and after they talk about like, how they've like, talked to Corbyn, the end with this, knowledge could not be utilized for the purpose of information as they were limited to general nature. So in the Sun's report itself, they just say like, yeah, there was, there was no exchange of information. <laughs> <laughs> this entire thing is the most insane thing. So it's no a, exchange of any information. So like they didn't even say anything. They just sort of sat there yeah, and looked at each other. They had a nice chat about general discussions of the position of Britain in the USA. <laughs> and there was no useful information, but they've run an entire page on that. And now that hundreds of people have spent all of today thinking about it. <laughs> well, that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's incredible. It's um, like, like, like Jeremy Corbyn says, it's like, it's, it, it, what this is, it's the same thing as like, you know how when you're on the on the tube, right, and someone stands on the uh, someone stands on the left, um, the only time it's ever acceptable in Britain, I've learned to talk to a stranger, is if that happens, you walk up behind them, then you turn to the person on your right, and you go, uh, "Check out that dick." <laughs> but even then, the "check out that dick" is implied by the. Uh, so there was a really expressive movement that yeah. right did there, but you all missed it. Yeah, no, our primarily audio medium, which is great. Um, yeah, so the, the Jeremy Corbyn basically had that level of interaction with a Czech diplomat, uh, and the Sun predictably is just rampantly shitting itself. Yeah, yeah, well, it's that's they, like the number one. Exp- it's like, that's the thing is like that's conservative organizations. Their margins are being like just hammered and hammered and hammered. Turning Point USA. Oh, we should we should mention that. Uh, the Sun, but because the costs of diapers are going up and up and up and up. Well, you, you, the thing is, you also though, like you want to pick the enemy that's around now. Like ISIS, you can probably still make ISIS a thing, but trying to be basically like, yeah, Jeremy Corbyn is is soft on the Soviet Union. <laughs> it's like it feels like the whole thing's written <laughs> by someone who is like sixty and stop, and just hasn't stop been around being for the last twenty five years. <laughs> Ra is the real enemy. <laughs> it's like, I've I've heard Jeremy Corbyn is soft on the galls pouring into the empire. <laughs> Jer- Jeremy Corbyn, tough on Saxons, tough on the causes of Saxons. <laughs> Where does he stand on the Visigoths? He's conspicuously silent. What is Jeremy Corbyn doing to fight syphilis? <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn had tea on the Commons balcony with Hannibal and his elephants. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I thought I did. <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy Corbyn, Jeremy Corbyn's and Carmine Lupertazzi's crew. We're not cool with them anymore. <laughs> <laughs> He disrespected the Bing. 
<laughs> Jeremy Corbyn disrespected the Bing. <laughs> God, I love The Sopranos. Um, so, right. So, mm. I think we, we, we've pretty much resolutely concluded that this isn't anything. Um, or rather, it's, you know, he had, a conversa- he had a small conversation with a stranger about nothing in particular. Uh, and it's caused a... We can't know, can we? I mean, there's like... There's a, there's a chance that in his one meeting, I think the meeting was in Parliament, was it? Is that he, 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 yeah. Where, Did it appear on any Instagrams of famous sex workers? <laughs> yeah, like there's a chance he had his one, but like it's all conjecture and it seems far more likely that he was just meeting a diplomat. If only Instagram had been around in 1986, then we could know. He would have stories that shit. Right, exactly. Because if he... Jack and Jeremy Corbyn's the kind of man who takes sex workers to his private spy meetings. What's your quick Twitter poll? Right. I heard Jeremy Corbyn never goes anywhere without Kiki Minaj and Rebecca Moore. <laughs> but also, I mean, like, we should probably talk about the fact that Jeremy Corbyn as an opposition MP in 1983 had absolutely no access to any interesting information. <laughs> there, is no, there is no one in the government who would have been giving him anything interesting. Mr. Corbyn, where are the submarines? Nor did anyone in 1983, eh? to be honest. This is true. <laughs> um, the CIA were paranoid that the Sandinistas were a threat to national security. I mean, like, it's amazing how much foreign policy in the world has been governed by like monsters under the bed. Uh, there was a, uh, a thread that was by a guy called Robert Colville, who's the director of the CPS think tank and editor-in-chief of CapEx, who claims to be saving conservatism one tweet at a time. It saves former boss things are- at BuzzFeed. Oh, yeah, a lot of people's former boss. <laughs> one carrot at a time. But, I mean, both CapEx and CPS think tank are actually slightly more right-wing than they sound. And, yeah, and he used to, he previously worked at <laughs> Telegraph and after that spent some time at BuzzFeed. And I actually have a great read series from Paradox. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hit, hit, hit me with that to contextualize. Laying people off one beanie at a time. Did this he is... leave once he found out what his real age was? <laughs> yeah, so, well, this is the thing. He tweets like he is like a 55-year-old, and he's, he's 36. He's a man who did not... This is, no, this is like... He and, he and like um, 100% clean millennial comedian Dan Nyden like peed in the same fountain that like turned them into, like, weird, hybrid well, young old an, people. No, he's an inverse Dan Ninen. Yeah. He's Dan, like, he's Dan... Dan... Shit, I can't believe that man now. <laughs> <laughs> no, because he is, he is actually young, but actually he's old, and Dan Ninen is actually old, but actually he's young. Like Andy Melanarchus. They, they did, like, a really strange body swap thing, like... Uh, <laughs> So what what's what do you what do you what do you have to say to me about Robert Colville before we read his insane thread? Uh, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this thing that he wrote because he wrote a book about the internet. So the man is very up on the internet and knows everything about the internet, and he's he's really really knows it. Uh, but this is basically after after he left Buzzfeed, he wrote a piece um, that was kind of like about how he dealt with the young people at Buzzfeed. Um, but last year, this is him now, last year at the age of 34, I got a job at BuzzFeed. To call it culture shock was an understatement. This was a firm that not only catered to 20-somethings, but was largely staffed by them. <laughs> uh, much of the time, I felt more like an anthropologist than a line manager. <laughs> young people are much like animals. Yeah. <laughs> no, we're the animals of society. Gradually, I learned the ropes. I was shown how to make gifts where memes came from. Oh, what? fuck you. What emoticons meant. I think he means emoticons. They come from the meme stalk, which swoops down from the heavens and delivers them to waiting parents. <laughs> <laughs> I learned to distinguish between Snapchat and Tumblr, Yik Yak and WhatsApp. 
I picked up the names of the goggle boxes and that Drake was the most important musician on the planet. The most important musician on the planet is Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Yeah, of course. He's 34. He had all of those He's things. He's 34, yeah. The most obvious difference, however, was less tangible. It was the speed at which everyone moved. Sorry, I keep laughing as I read this. <laughs> None of them were using canes or Zimmer frames. <laughs> the way my colleagues bounced between social networks and chat windows, jokes and thoughts still left me dazzled. <laughs> Holy shit. They didn't even bother to talk to each other. Questions and quips would be fired across the internal chat system with waves of laughter as the latest link made its way around. They swam the digital sea while the rest of us just paddled. Oh my God. BRB <laughs> swimming the digital sea. Lubed themselves up with copious amounts of lard first. <laughs> Diving into the cold, cold internet. Yes, these kids were terrifying. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> When we, when we talk, talk about the topics, topics we should cover, they all have big issues of fairness and social justice. Those young people with their newfangled ideas. It is, it is incredible that he then has un- failed to understand the appeal of Jeremy Corbyn. <laughs> he's, basically, he's basically out here saying, yes, these, these young people, they don't just call on their phones. There's also this thing called texting. I went out, I went out to my car to take a call from my editor. <laughs> <laughs> this is a man who still walks into car phone warehouse and asks where the car phones are. So I think that's a good that's a <laughs> Can good you fit this in a Datsun? I need an answer. <laughs> so basically what Robert Colville has sort of put together today is a thread that is many, many, many things. Um, it's a, a list of things that, uh, things about Jeremy Corbyn, um, some of which are quite serious accusations about like denying genocide and so on, which are obviously bad. Um, but the, to be fair, I don't think he ever actually says that Jeremy Corbyn denies genocide. He says that he's met people who does not genocide. Yeah. But like the stuff about, it's not yeah, good. It's yeah, not good. No, it's not, that stuff's not good. But the rest of the, the balance of the list and the vast majority of the list is either stuff that is like out, out and out lies and exaggerations or is just really cool. Red, to put the sun page, re Corbin and the commies in context. Ooh, that's some spicy alliteration. Here's a list of things Corbin has said, done or written regarding foreign policy. We'll update as suggestions come in. Number one, claimed that the reunification of Germany was a mistake because it happened on capitalist terms. <laughs> said that Venezuela's achievement in jobs, housing, and health and education, but above all, its role in the whole world is a completely different place where a cause for celebration in 2015. Well, I mean, Venezuela, Venezuela didn't, you know, they didn't diversify. They were too dependent on oil prices. Things went wrong. You know, I don't think that renders all of the things they did well sort of meaningless people like people like robert colville want you to think that the reason venezuela is having troubles now is because it's just not possible to have a welfare state in a country like venezuela which isn't true it's more specific than that here's one that just is completely that boggles my mind six claimed that al-qaeda was founded by u.s trainers I mean, it's a simplification, yeah. but yes. It's like kind of true. <laughs> so did you, did you see him when Zob, Zob um, challenged him on that? And he was just, Matt Zob was basically like, yeah, this one's true. And he was like, yeah, but the point is that it, it, it tells you that he thinks America's bad or something. Maybe true, but it's not patriotic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is, it's, it's just like, it's, it's right wing political correctness. And I don't think we sort of acknowledge that that exists enough. But it's really easy to like, you know, you, you, there's certain facts you're not meant to say and you become like a person, a suspicious person, an anti-patriotic person if you say these like true things. And 
the people who kind of enforce these norms tend to be way more powerful than like student union reps or whatever the hell. So I I think it's kind of, it's, it's it's kind of bullshit how we focus on like, you know, anti, the anti-free speech left when they've got such precise rules about what you're allowed to say. I mean, it's worth pointing out that like, Robert Colville's entire point during this thread is basically that Corbyn's default setting is being anti-US. And maybe two years ago when, you know, there was Obama, there's like, oh, maybe there's an argument for like the US does good. Right now, being anti-US seems like, yeah, he had it right all along. <laughs> and, and, and at least like, at least there's a lot yeah. to criticise, you know. Like it's not, and, and sort of listing a load of very valid criticisms doesn't really just it just makes you seem like Corbyn was spot on about quite a lot of things here's another 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 I'm gonna do a match pair of these uh number seven said it was a tragedy that bin Laden was killed by the U.S. rather than put on trial and um another one later down in the list complaining that jihadi john the british isis fighter hadn't been tried in a court of law how dare he respect due process i mean but that's that, that, that's super mainstream liberalism as well it's like you know maybe not everyone agrees with it but it's yeah it's, it's very did you um my fate my favorite one was um claim that the free market's very imperative imperative is of an ever hastening exploitation of all resources including people and it needs armies and weapons to secure those supplies which is a very kind of pithy way of summing up reality yeah, yeah. i mean that's also something that like, mega capitalists agree with they just don't think it's a bad thing like, that's where like them and corbyn overlap <laughs> like yes we need all the national resources <laughs> that's the real horseshoe theory <laughs> <laughs> the really the worst one for me was when i heard that he said that the big bang theory was actually an okay show I don't think even that. I think the the direct quote is had its moments. He actually just met with a guy who said the Big Bang Theory had its moments. Milo, this is something that we talked about on such an early episode of the show that I don't think any of our listeners will have actually listened to it. But do you remember when you had to write a certain email to a certain uh, political figure? Ah, yes. So uh, my mates and I, we do it less now, but when we were at university, we used to play this game called Tell Them. I don't know if anyone's familiar with this. None of us uh, went to I'll Cambridge. That as a no. um, basically, if you say something about someone and you don't say like safety or no, tell them afterwards, if someone gets there in time and says, tell them, you have to tell them. Um, and so I once I, I made some passing comment about Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. I think I said, uh, like, he sounds like he's got a lot on his plate. And then someone said, tell him. And I and I was like, well, how the fuck am I going to do that? Email him. And they were like, yeah. So I found an email address for someone called Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi online and sent her an email saying like, hi, sounds like you've got a lot, of, a lot on your plate at the moment. Best of luck. <laughs> I never got a reply. <laughs> Holy shit, Milo, you provided aid and comfort to the enemy. <laughs> Maybe I'll do a know, list about you. <laughs> But um, there are a couple other that's elements. A knock at the door from the water borders. <laughs> water. Well, uh, after, now that the, the the printing industry is in such a crunch, um, Borders Books has rebranded as Water Borders. They're very convincing when they're trying to sell you stuff. Um, so there are a couple. <laughs> Well, there are a couple other um, other elements on this list I want to hit, which are there are some like just, yeah, he's got really cool positions, but there are others that are like outright fabrications. Uh, so, for example, he has, says that Corbyn has refused five times in a BBC interview to condemn the IRA's murders, which is a, an utter fallacy. 
that interview is where Corbyn was being asked to condemn them as specifically different from and worse than loyalist paramilitary murders. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a kind of a purity test that is was probably outdated at the time and is definitely outdated now. And it's it's weird that that's a question that's being asked if something like yeah why are you doing a hierarchy of badness i think i mean i think there's like there is a there's a nuanced series of questions to be asked on this and those questions never get asked well no it's i think what i'm noticing a bit of a pattern for today's shit which is that like i think it was like bring your grandfather to work day at uh capex and the sun because everyone's concerns seem very rooted in the 1980s he, re- he refused to condemn Sheldon as different from and worse than Joey Tribbiani. Where, where did he come down in the Fraser Friends debacle? I thought his support for William of Orange was disgraceful. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's, the fact is, he is, he is a pro-Carthaginian, and the longer we allow him to influence our politics, the weaker Rome will be. In a BBC in- interview, he refused to agree with the statement, Carthago de Lendest. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's the kind of that is the kind of purity test that the Cato Institute would impose, which makes it very fitting. Fucking Cato the Elder. What a bitch. <laughs> oh, wait, hang on, can I just say my favorite thing about the list is the really bland things that are in there where they just try and throw them in with other bad things in the hope that they will also sound bad. But they're just bland as fuck. Like Corbyn opposed shoot to kill policies. And it's like, and <laughs> like there's I just it reminds me of that bit in The Simpsons where it's like <laughs> Jeremy Corbyn contains potassium benzoate. <laughs> that's bad. Also, because it's like responding to the Paris attacks. He says he supports shoot to kill. And it's like, well, yeah, exactly. That's exactly the time you should stick to your principles, not randomly decide on oh, actually we should shoot a load of people like that is a good thing. So why are you choosing it like the context is bad? I'd, I'd love the, to see the attack ad against Corbyn that like. When it became challenging, Jeremy Corbyn did not bend his principles. The UK just doesn't have a shoot to kill policy. So he was admittedly criticizing a policy that didn't exist. Um, Well, that's why I realized Robert Colville is really keen on, he's saying, Jeremy Jeremy Corbyn has found all kinds of places where he could have killed brown people or supported the killing of brown people and then didn't. How unbelievable. I think my, my favorite my fa- my favorite one and the one we'll end off on before we um, get Emily on the phone. Number thirty one, speaking in front of communist flags at a May Day rally. If you, if you look at the fo- if you look at the footage from um, May Day, the guy with the flag kind of shuffles behind him deliberately. Like I am, um, I as I understand it, um, kind of Corbyn's um, staff were desperately trying to make that not happen and it was entirely accidental um because yeah I, d- I don't yeah i don't think he was deliberately trying to talk in front of a ham and sickle actually i mean that would have been sweet if he had like 42 facts about jeremy corbyn number 31 will make you go <laughs> well that's the um the other that reminds me of is um what uh, Mike Cern- like Mike Cernovich's people would do at like various um, campus like like left wing campus rallies is like the Proud Boys would like dress up as what they thought like liberal activists looked like, uh, and so they would wear you know they basically would dress like Mr. Burns trying to dress as Jimbo from The Simpsons. Um, it was very. It was how how are you fellow kids? Yeah, it's very how are you fellow kids. But they would walk and then they would like drop a Nambla banner. <laughs> Proud boys are the ones who don't masturbate. Uh, I don't think any of them masturbate. I mean, yeah, we don't mean masturbate. masturbate. They're, they're all very vocal about not masturbating. I don't know how much that means they don't masturbate. Uh, okay. <laughs> what do you think Jeremy Corbyn's favorite Gary Marshall film is, though? I'm gonna play the theme to Valentine's Day here. There's a 
There's a real 30% chance I will play the theme to Valentine's Day here, not just leave in the bit of me saying I will. And with that, we're going to leave off the BuzzFeed article about Jeremy Corbyn, take a quick break, and be back with uh, Emily from I Hate NYT on Twitter to learn why the New York Times might not be the beacon of democratic hope we thought it was. say that's good enough for jazz let's do it that's good enough. excellent um mm-hmm. so uh welcome back to the second half of this spooktacular episode of trash future uh we have had a little minor staffing Ooh. change um olga and abby who have a busy and important lives as, um, a, as a new media media podcast i think it was important to like just make sure the staff turnover is really high <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, Olga has gone to do it. We don't let them unionize. No, it's a union's just not right for trash future. It's, good. It's, it's right for BuzzFeed. It's right for every other company. It's right for Tesla. Not right for us. Well, you, you guys have a culture of innovation right now, so you wouldn't want to like damage that through unionizing. Those other companies, they don't have a culture of innovation, so it's okay for them to stagnate. Yeah, we're we are we're in a competitive industry, but more importantly, guys, we're all in this together. Yeah, and we need to be flexible about ever-changing issues, like are we peeing or not? Yeah, you're like a family, because that's also what families do. Yeah, families brutally exploit one another and, you know, expose them to dangerous working conditions and remove the bulk of the value of their life. Yeah, and they, and they know a lot about how often each other is peeing, which is also what you guys do, so... Well, yeah, no, you can't. Well, the rule is in Britain, you can't pee when the queen is in the country. <laughs> this is true. I mean, you're like, she spends a lot of time in Scotland, but like, if she didn't do that, it'd be a nightmare. Like. So you might be, uh, you might be hearing a, a new American voice. Uh, this is not just the amalgam divided by two of Abby and Olga. Um, no, who is this new American voice? This American voice, a podcast. This is, this is, <clears throat> this is me, Emily, um, of I Hate the New York Times fame. Um, you can find me at I Hate NYT. Um, you can find my great blog at firebrettstevens.com. Actually, Brett, Brett Stevens doesn't believe in man-made fire. <laughs> <laughs> this is what, this is, no, we're here to educate the Brits. We're here to educate. I'm with that. Yes. Yeah. Educate us. Because, you know, as far as we're all concerned, the New York Times is like, you know, it's a bastion of, um, of, of it's the last bastion of the resistance. It's how America's going to beat Trump is with facts and responsible journalism from outlets like the New York Times and the Washington Post, because democracy dies in darkness and whatever it is the New York Times has invented for itself. Unless, of course, there's a dark side. Unless, of course, there's a dark side. Well, they had their great, like, truth that's more important now than ever. They had a tagline, too. I forget what it was. It wasn't as good as democracy dies in darkness. But they had, like, ads that were like, truth, it's more factual now than ever. <laughs> there are more facts in each unit of truth than there have been at any point. <laughs> truth truth is, like, is like Bitcoin, because it's just there's more facts in it now, and it keeps going up and up and up. No, truth is like ecstasy pills. You know, there's, there, there's, there's, more, <laughs> there's more in it than ever. They're stronger <laughs> than ever now. Becoming more and more intimate. The more Trump lies, the more truth becomes rare and less valuable, which is why it's, like, it's more worthwhile now than ever to pay money to read the New York Times. Mining truth on the moons of Saturn. 
I, I mean, when they hired the Ben Shapiro advertising agency, I really didn't know how it would go for them. Wait until the New York Times discovers that the notion of truth is philosophically controversial. Thank I you. Can't, I can't wait until like the, the what is going to be the 2020 election is like the New York Times and Washington Post will like get tied up in discussing what the concept of truth is while like Trump is just saying like, yeah, 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 yeah the aliens, somebody build a wall. <laughs> Trump's like, I don't know if there are aliens. If there are aliens out there, I'm going to find their nines and tens. <laughs> and the New York Times is like, but what is truth? The, we spoke to a bunch of Trump voters who don't think truth exists. <laughs> the Platonists at the New York Times are living in a cave. Are you going to trust them? For a while, they were kind of on that beat. They had Stanley Fish, the postmodernist philosopher, literary critic guy, writing extremely terrible articles for them. Um, so I guess like he quit or they got rid of him or something. So I guess they're no longer interested in occupying that postmodernist truth as a social construct space like now they're more like they've hitched their wagon to the idea that truth does exist so emily you're gonna kind of take us us in our sort of primarily british audience through maybe why the new york times is maybe not what it seems uh to the casual observer why it might actually be comma bad so i started doing my blog and my Twitter account because I could never understand why like the New York Times had this audience of sort of nice, well-meaning, well-educated, like liberal-ish people. Um, But somehow they could never seem to really give those people what they wanted. Like they seemed to spend all this time looking for like reasonable Republicans who could package reasonable they could package Republican views in a way that would seem like nice and reasonable. So to that end, they had David Brooks, they had Ross Dow that, um, and they didn't really have any actual left-wing people who might reflect the views of their progressive readers other than Paul Krugman. He was like their token, actually progressive guy, um, which he sort of is not anymore. I think he's kind of given up on that, which I can get into more later. But they somehow move more aggressively than the Overton window. They're kind of seen as like, well, they're part of the so-called liberal media. They're always going to support the Democratic candidate. Um, And then a lot of people got disillusioned during this primary season because they, like many other mainstream voices and media outlets, never had anything good to say about Bernie Sanders. Like every single one of their op-ed page roster came out with these opinions that were like, wow, actually Hillary Clinton is being like, Hillary Clinton is more progressive than you think. Did you know Hillary Clinton is actually an incredibly talented politician? So they were all just like very in the tank for Hillary and Paul Krugman in particular seemed like to be sort of personally mad at Bernie. They had some weird vendetta against him. So, like, from what you could have learned from reading the New York Times, like, Bernie Sanders might have had, like, zero supporters, even though I'm sure a lot of their readers supported him. And then Trump got elected, and they kind of came out with these, like, op-ed pieces that were like, we're going to resist him so hard, we're just going to resist Trump every day with the, like, passion of 10,000 fiery suns, you're not going to believe how hard we resist Trump. And then like one month later, they came out with this idea for a column, say something nice about Trump, where they called on their readers <laughs> to please write it. This is real. You can look this up. I'm not making this up. They called on their readers 
to say something nice about Trump and one of their guys was going to then like take the ideas and like write them up into a regular column and people kind of made fun of it so much like they didn't actually get any sincere entries everyone was just pissed off that they were trying to do this so all the entries were like oh Trump has small dainty hands like oh Trump knows how to use Twitter so I guess at least he knows how to read and write so I think they kind of gave up on the idea, but they've done... The New York Times, who have a large stable of people who are paid, I assume, hundreds of thousands of dollars to have opinions about Trump and Republicans, could not come up with a single thing to say nice about Trump, so ask their readers. Well, look, you got to get so you got to get some free content. You can't expect them. They're already, like you said, paying a lot of money for this roster of like the best and brightest, so they have to like cut corners sometimes. By getting free content, you got to get those letters, the free, you got to get the free comments posted in the comments section that you then like turn into a feature article. Look, that's how, that's how you survive. What I find most hilarious about this though, is that if they, if the New York times genuinely wanted to influence policy, their say something nice about Trump column would have worked. They could have just tricked him. They could have been like, oh, what I love about Trump is his great idea, Trump care, which is a publicly funded universal health program and if they could have gotten him to read it he would have been like yes that was a great idea of mine so that's this is culminating base culminated basically uh emily as we were saying in the hiring of and the sort of the, the new york times being characterized by just being basically a stable of of sort of anti-trump republicans right yeah so they have this strange notion that they use to justify all these hires that they need ideological diversity and a range of viewpoints but like somehow all that ever involves is hiring more anti-trump republic they already had ross dowdad and david brooks who are both anti-trump republicans and then they brought on another one so like okay they're never going they're never going to hire a pro-trump republican because that's just kind of vulgar and crass like they don't really care to represent that which fine and then they're also not going to hire someone with like more left-wing views, even as their readership is probably getting more and more left-wing in their views. They're, the time seems to be kind of going right. So they're not going to hire anyone to the left. So that just kind of leaves this anti-Trump republicanism to somehow represent intellectual diversity. Like because of the fact that their readers don't like it, and in fact no one likes it, that makes it ideologically diverse, right? Because it's automatically different from whatever the actual reader believes. Holy shit. You know what that makes the New York Times? That makes the New York Times the Joker. Where he's like, you all laugh at me because I'm different. I laugh at you because you're all the same. Yeah, the, 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 so not, he's not the Joker. The New York Times the is New, like a goth kid. The New York Times is Harvey Dent flipping a coin. <laughs> Whether it's Paul Krugman or seven pro-Trump Republicans they're going to print this week. I do want to get into to Ross Douthat a little bit because he's been in the headlines for uh, calling for a total ban on pornography. Oh, they're all just wilding out. They've all had some amazing takes in the last few weeks. So just in the past like couple weeks, we had banned pornography. We had banned Jews. That was a great one. We had letters from Trump supporters. Can we go back to the banning Jews? What happened to the banning on, I, Jews? I miss Ban George Soros' secret pornography cartel. I mean, I thought that was the front page of the Times, wasn't it? The banned Jews was a great Brett Stevens piece where what it was was it was supposed to be a clever bit of irony on par with a modest proposal. 
And we we as readers knew this because he like announced it either in the first like paragraph of the article or like in his tweet where he tweeted it out. He was like, by the way, this is irony. Think Jonathan Swift. So like, that's always a good sign when you have to do that. You have to be like, hey, guys, I'm doing a clever thing right now. What, what was it that he was doing? He was making a point about banning Muslims and his ostensible point was that we shouldn't do it. If we like banned people just for like coming from a group with like bad, scary views, um, like certain people want to do to Muslims, then by their logic, we would have had to have done it to Jews too. So like he's ostensibly saying that we shouldn't do that, but like, oh. but there's enough like people being a woke racist. Well, yeah, it's the it's the if you're like at this point, if you're going to do the modest proposal satire, then cook and eat yourself uh, because it always just comes off as a dog whistle. But at the same time, if his point if if his point is like, ah, we didn't let these people with scary views in. It's like he's being kind of a woke racist where he's like, we shouldn't care that they commit more crime. There are fellow humans. And it's like, well. No, fuck you. Like how frightening they are, but being like, but look, they also do so much for us. So like if you love how much they're doing for us, then you shouldn't think we should. Okay, check it. You guys want to hear the opening of this great article, Ban Jews? I so want to. Until his dying day, my dad's uncle Byrne was a communist sympathizer. I remember him as an affable old man with a gracious wife who made a modest living selling antique lace. He probably wouldn't have heard a fly. Yet he found much to admire in the most murderous ideology of the 20th century, responsible for tens of millions of deaths from the killing fields of Cambodia to the gulags of Murmansk. Okay, and then he goes on to say that if you're Jewish in America, you probably have an Uncle Burn somewhere in your family tree. So he's uh, saying that. Wait, like, wait, no way, no way. Is the, his uncle actually named Burn? He is, he is like dog whistling Bernie Sanders, right? So first of all, he's saying like, well, look, the Jews. They're, I mean, they supported the evils of communism, but they're fine. But then there's also this made-up character. Oh, my Uncle Bernie, a, a gray-haired old man. Who boy? <laughs> wait, sorry. So he's dog whistling. Jewish people as communists? Yeah, he's he's Jewish himself, which I think is what justifies in his mind. I mean, that was that was literally exactly what used to happen in the 1920s in the early the like the second immigration when and well and now Brett Stevens is doing it again, but he's doing it with all of the subtlety of like a, a fucking cartoon anvil being dropped in your head in a Looney Tunes. So the, um, oh, no, wait, there's more. And then he says, most of these people, like my great uncle, were deeply misguided idealists. A tiny handful of others, including atomic spies, Julius Rosenberg, etc., etc. Who is now known were not spies. Betrayed America's most important military secrets to Stalinist Russia and did incalculable damage to the country and the world. So this is how he leads off his explanation of why we shouldn't ban Jews, is that they betrayed our atomic secrets and did damage to the world. Also, like, how does like if he's if he's basically using this as to like talk about the um the the Muslim ban, is like he's like he's like ah yes even even though the uh, Muslims infiltrated our top levels of government and have been serving dog at the White House you know and and they have a secret Kenyan uh, we should we should still let them in like it's it's it is bizarre it is it's it's a weirdly like it's a weirdly racist way to make that point. Which is really fitting for Brett Stevens, who I can never really tell if he's being. It is Brett Stevens, right? Yes, yeah, Brett Stevens. I can never tell. 
Yeah, well, it's like a dog whistle. And like the way the logic is set up, it can go either way. Like you could say, oh, I don't think they should have banned Jews, so we should keep Muslims. Or if you're a person who already is going to think we should ban Muslims, then you could say, well, by his logic, we shouldn't have let the Jews in either. Like there's nothing inherently... Well, if you're a tr- if you're like one of the like weird MAGA Trump supporters that they gave their op-ed page to a couple weeks ago, they probably would have read that article and be like, "Oh, that's a good point, actually." <laughs> but that actually sort of leads me leads me on to um the to how the the New York Times did give over its op-ed page to Trump voters because of its crazy mission. Um, it seems that we have to sort of conduct a kind of constant and ongoing sort of sensitive, soft-focused anthropological study uh, of, of what makes these people tick. Which is the exact same thing we're doing in the UK with Brexit. So there must be some logic to their views because they think them. As though it's like patronizing to suggest that there is no logic to it, as though it's not possible that people have illogical views. Yeah, they're kind of expecting something. Like, they, they sort of continue doing the thing where they're like, Trump voters, do they still believe in Trump? And then they'll ask them, like, would you still vote for Trump today? And the Trump voters all say yes. And they're like, huh, okay, well, we'll, we'll, check, we'll check back with you guys later. It's like, it's like, hey, you guys, you guys still racist? Yeah. Oh, oh, you are. Oh, darn. <laughs> Do you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you, you were all, all over this when it happened, when they were just like, yeah, we're going to give our, our page to Trump voters. Um, yeah, it was great because you, you sort of knew, like they announced they were doing this. And of course, like everyone just kind of collectively groaned at their shit once again. Um, and of course, people said various things like, why don't you devote your op-ed page to like letters from the dreamers or some other sort of group of people that hasn't had their views discussed exhaustively. But you kind of knew that they were just going to find like the few literate, like um, literate letters that seem kind of reasonable and sane on the surface and then like throw out all the crazy screeds they got about like Hillary and Benghazi and Obumbo and like and the ones that were just like build the wall repeated 500 times, which is what they did. So they had all these people, um, I don't know, these people sort of claim that they like our, his policies um, they are, they're like, not all Trump voters are Hillary Clinton's deplorables. Many of us are well-informed and highly educated. Where was the Harvard guy? There was one guy who had a great line about how he went to Harvard. Hang on, let me find it. Uh, well, it's the, uh, what I find sort of, while you're, while you're, while you're pulling that up, what I find so interesting about this is that the New York Times, for all of its sort of vaunted fact worship, um, it, it seems like it might it might be picking and choosing which facts to report to support a particular ideological worldview about respectability and um, and, and, and sort of uh, almost you might say class solidarity. The opinion page is what we see a lot of. And obviously the opinion page and all the editorial decisions being made there are very, very questionable. But how do you think that the opinion page uh, or the perception of the opinion page affects how people view the, the reporting of The New York Times, which are kind of two separate things? Right. Yeah. I mean, people kind of sometimes defend them by saying, well, like, look, they have the best reporting in the country or like when it comes to Brett Stevens, they'll say like, oh, well, look, you may say you want to unsubscribe because he's a climate change denier, but we have the best um, we have the best reporting on climate change in the country. So um, 
Which is true, but like sort of the function of an op-ed page is to delimit this range of acceptable opinions and kind of express what this newspaper's brand is going to be. Like, here's the, um, like, we've told you the facts. Now sort of here's the range of, like, respectable conclusions that we think you could potentially draw from them. And that's how they kind of establish their brand. So by establishing this brand that's so right-wing, they're kind of undermining their reporters whose conclusions might more reasonably lead to very different conclusions. It's almost genius that we're going to do the best climate change reporting in all of journalism. And we also have the best climate change denial in all of journalism. (laughs) Well, and particularly as regards Trump, I've actually been surprised at like how much more credible it makes an opinion just by like someone having that opinion. Like, so my dad, who's like a reasonably intelligent person was in the U S last summer and he was speaking to some people that we, that my dad, my dad, my, my slightly right wing dad, um, was in the U S talking to some like, uh, very Republican people that we sort of know. Um, and he, and he came back and we were talking about Trump and he was like, he was like, well, you know, Milo, they were saying to me that actually, you know, they think that, uh, you know, Trump is actually the idiot thing is an act and he's actually playing, you know, like a really, a really smart game. And, you know, maybe they're right. And I'm like, dad, did they actually give you any evidence to suggest that this is true? And he's like, no. And I'm like, so what? Like, they're just idiots. They just, they're just, they're morons who just like him because he agrees with their worldview. There's no evidence to support their position. Why would you think that makes it more credible just because some idiots think it? <laughs> Do you want to hear this letter from a Trump supporter? This one's really good. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Slam it into my veins, please. 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 To the editor, I voted twice in my life. Once for myself when I ran for Congress 10 years ago. Same, same. So much same. (laughs) Dear editor, I've only voted for myself three times. Once when I ran for Congress, once for Trump, and once in my divorce case. (laughs) (laughs) This is from Philip Maywin of Greenwich, Connecticut. Evidently, he ran for Congress and did not win, but he's going to brag about it anyway. Um, Virtually all my friends or colleagues actively hate Mr. Trump. I'm a minority in every circle I move in. Yeah, every every single one, I'm sure. I mean, he's in Connecticut society. <laughs> he's a minority, but only in this one very limited sense of being a Trump supporter. Um, so check this out. I have a PhD from the University of Chicago and a bachelor's and master's from Harvard. Okay, so normally when you're telling someone that you have a PhD, it would be considered not necessary to explain that you also have a bachelor's. Trust me, guys. I'm his PhD smart. is in listing his qualifications. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he doesn't say what it's in, which makes me think it's not in anything or medical doctor. Um, I'm a former hedge fund trader and now an He's academic. So smart that the only person he will vote for is himself. <laughs> <laughs> Same yes. person you can trust. He used his Harvard education to evaluate all the other candidates, and they all, other than Trump, came up lacking. I'm a journalist and author. Imagine being a Trump supporter in even one of those circles, exclamation point. We learn to stay quiet. So he just keeps snitching on himself. Like, I know, guys, guys, look, I know I do all this other smart stuff, but I've got this one really dumb opinion. (laughs) 
Yeah, he's like, okay, so I'm like really scared to tell anyone I know about my dumb political opinions, but like, which is normal. Just like imagine being me, you would do the same. You would just keep it a secret. Those infamously quiet Trump supporters. Um, he's on that. Uh, he's on the the Trump diet. He's not being invited to dinner parties. So wait, what's so? So basically, he's he's being completely like shut out by all of his respectable friends. He's being shut out, but it doesn't matter, I guess, to him because of how good Trump is making America. He says Trump has turned a fragile nation anti-fragile. Um, now volatility. <laughs> a word which exists. Oh, it, unfortunately, it does. But it's a dumb Silicon Valley word um, about designing systems that are. It's about designing systems that can absorb shocks well, basically. I, I'm not dumb. I'm, I'm anti-dumb. The opposite of dumb. <laughs> they invented, they basically, they invented a word to mean resilient and adaptable. Because they were like, we can't use those words. Those are normal words. Those are poor people words. We have to make up our resilient, own words. but with no vowels. And so they invented... The fact that a scholar uses this term, he says the scholar Nassim Nicholas Talib's term. So he, he wants us to all know that, like... If you ever say scholar, then you've already automatically lost the argument. No, Nicholas Nassim Taleb's a... He's a fucking embarrassment. Wait, also, you call him a scholar. If you call someone a scholar, that you've lost. He's like, he's like, this is basically... He's like, well, if you read your Jordan Peterson, but just slightly more, like, highbrow. <laughs> Scholars maintain. So he says he likes America now because it's anti-fragile under the guy who's like, you know... Um, I was just, yeah, so he, he says he's anti-fragile, so he likes it. The guy who's, like, scared of pink steak, because he might get food poisoning. Yeah, so he says that now, in Trump's America, the more chaos, the better, exclamation point. Um, so that sounds kind of worrying, but okay. He says entrepreneurship is up. Oh, no, entrepreneurship up. Optimism up. Um, good old American problem solving is back. Finally. Yeah, because there are all the problems to solve. <laughs> So, like, these are supposed to be his intelligent, intellectual defenses of Trump, where he's basically like, capitalism, good, me like optimism. But also, like, in, in an area that's in a time, but this is just the, the shock doctrine, basically. Trump is throwing the country into chaos, and so I'm able to take advantage of it by, like, just, like, just sort of, you know, sweeping things in, in under my sort of private control while no one else is looking. It sounds like this guy is a... This, yeah, this guy, you know what this guy is? This guy's like business bane, <laughs> essentially, where he is, he's just, he, he but he, he, this is, this is like a, a version of business bane where he's still wearing the mask, but he also has like a too big tucked in polo shirt. And he's really excited that his used boat dealership is going to go up in business by like two to 4%. Right. But here's the problem with the business bane is that bane was very anti Wall Street. Nobody cared who I was before I put on the Harvard tie. Yeah, this is, that's why this is business bane. Right. He's using chaos for business. He's he goes. He knows that Trump is president. You know deals, and all those deals he's made. I love all his deals. <laughs> all deals. I got tired of the deals. Yeah. I'm honest with you. Yeah, too many deals. Um. So, but this this. But yeah, the letters are all kind of like that. Some of them also claim that they were skeptical of Trump, but have been won over by his great performance. One guy is like, I give him a B plus. Like, they were skeptical of him, so they voted for him. Right. Um, one guy says he went to the polls with a clothespin on his nose and had low expectations, but now gives him a B plus because he's doing so great. 
Well, that, that's the essence of the Trump voter, right? You have a clothespin on your nose because of the non-respectability, but you have a huge boner because of all of the racism. And you also have your rock that prevents burial. Yeah, I went to the polls with a clothespin on my nose, a huge boner in my sweatpants. Um, <laughs> ready to get rubbed off in a, in a Tuesday afternoon lap dance. <laughs> ready, to, ready to make this country great again through the power of, uh, I assume, um, like, a, like a used furniture store. <laughs> that's the question they can never answer isn't it with the whole make america great again thing is all well, pick a time when it was great and explain to me why <laughs> like when wh- which which point do you want to go back to is it 1985 is it 1955 when you know you had the the segregation thing it's when? actually about a day after 9-11 when suddenly every american felt very very empowered by the idea of being american and wanting to go out and destroy the world yeah so that's well maybe that's what we need we just need when everyone started politicizing the a tragedy. daily terrorist Guys, attacks. That's it wasn't politicization, politicization, it was patriotism. Mm-hmm. You know, when it's, a, when it's a gun tragedy, it's... Well, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah. In which case, it's just a tragedy. Yeah, no, in which case, it's... Unavoidable, a, unavoidable. Unavoidable, couldn't There's stop no it. way to avoid it. No, if only there was. Just, uh, just to bring our, bring our, our little tour through the, uh, through the, uh, behind the skirts of the gray lady to a close. Um, there, there, if, there's been a couple, even like in the last, almost like 48 hours... Uh, there have been some sort of colorful characters uh, associated with uh, our, with the New York Times. Um, I'm thinking of Barry Weiss and Zoe, not Zoe Quinn, that's the Gamergate lady. Something Quinn. Quinn Norton? Quinn Norton. Quinn Norton. German crooner, Barry Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, Milo. Can't get enough of your love, my liver. <laughs> Come on. Come on, Someone in Curious joke. Cat said I should replace you with a colorful fish, and I'm considering it. <laughs> you, you can never replace me. <laughs> Not with the most colorful fish in the world. I am an agent of Maybe chaos. two colorful fish. Um, so so who, who, are, who are these, these people, these, these sort of New York Times op-ed writers who have just crested the waters of sort of overpaid mediocrity and are sort of glimmering in the public eye for a moment? So I'm not really a Barry Weiss expert. Things have been like moving very quickly lately, so it's kind of hard to keep up with all of it. But Barry Weiss had that tweet. I think it was just immigrants get shit done. And it was about... Oh, God, yeah. It was about some oh, young God, lady yeah. with a Japanese name who like landed a triple axel in the Olympics. And she tweeted out, like, immigrants, they get shit done. And people were like, what the fuck are you talking about? That woman was born in America. And she was like, oh, I know that. It's a line from Hamilton. It was it was poetic license. I figured it was justified. So she like kept digging the hole deeper by saying like, oh, well, I know she's not actually an immigrant, but like her parents are immigrants. And then she got very, very mad that everyone kept saying, like a bunch of, most, almost everyone responded to her and was like, hey, actually, this is like not a cool thing to say. And no one got that mad. And she would, then she kept tweeting about how everyone was saying she should die and calling her a racist ghoul. But if you actually- So she did that like great thing that people do now where they say like, I've been getting death threats. I've gotten hundreds and you can just easily check and there's no death threats. (laughs) So I don't know, like the old, I don't know how old she is, but a lot of people in this world, like don't seem to realize you can just search their mentions and check whether there are any death threats there or not. She's, for the record, I once got... I once People have been calling me fragile. <laughs> She's 100% clean millennial op-ed writer, Barry Wise. <laughs> yeah, people have, been, people have been calling me racist and problematic and also saying I should die. So they kind of like hogtie like the perfectly reasonable 
um, <laughs> negative things people have said to like fake things people did not say, which if said would be unacceptable. But like the other thing that like the new breed of annoying New York Times writers do is like that conservative thing of always claiming that they're being silenced and like that their views are just like too hard hitting for the snowflakes. Punk rock, I think it was. Yeah. It's all punk rock. They're too punk. Yeah, like Brett Stevens oh, kind of brought rock. that oh, I thought it was to them rock. where like now the new thing among conservatives is to like, I don't, I don't know, to like spend 1% of your time actually expounding views and then the rest complaining that like people aren't listening to your views enough. And that's what Brett mostly does. So the, the New York Times op-ed page is actually more like a sort of dear diary uh, for, again, oh, that, that's, it's the goth thing. We're going back to the diary, diary of a teenage goth. Today. I'm not expecting any sympathy. I don't think it's heroic what I did, but I just want to let you know that if you're wanting to quit Twitter, they've had a lot of like, I'm quitting Twitter. Here's why Twitter was like making me a worse person takes. They tend to do that a lot. I mean, it is making everyone a worse person. I mean, Brett. No platforming Brett, themselves. <laughs> Brett, Brett Stevens, didn't he say like, Brett Stevens did a weird thing where he's like, okay, I'm getting too much abuse on Twitter from people who are telling me I'm advocating for the sort of wholesale cooking of the planet. Uh, so I'm going to delegate an assistant to manage my Twitter account so I don't have to deal with the with facts. Yeah, Jeez, Brett, like, Brett get, got like, owned too hard. Like, I guess he thought that he could win these beefs that he was constantly getting into where he was sort of like quote tweeting people with 200 followers and being like, see, this is this just shows you the disgusting attitudes of some on the left. Um, but you know what I love just the last, the last bit of disgusting attitudes, um, is that on the Barry Weiss thing, Eli Lake is clearly trying to fuck her. Oh, I didn't see that. Well, no, because every, every time someone would like tweet at, at Barry, at Barry Weiss being like, um, actually you're a fucking dullard. He'd be like, uh, I think you'll find she is an extremely accomplished shop head writer. Shoot your shot, Eli. Get in there. And no, it's, the thing is like, it's, I, I think I might've. The thing is that this whole... I've made this point before. This whole situation with Barry Weiss could have been avoided if she'd have just followed my useful when you're planning to tweet flowchart, which is, well, question one is, is your tweet going to be a reference to the musical Hamilton? If yes, do not tweet that thing. <laughs> Only way down there is, is it... That, that works for, like, off Twitter, too. Like, if you're just talking to someone, it's, like, probably even less likely that you should make a Hamilton reference. I think even the cast of Hamilton shouldn't make Hamilton yeah. references, and that includes reading from the script. Hamilton broke every single liberal brain. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it's the... Uh, I, I really do want to emphasize that Eli Lake is trying to get Barry Weiss to use his head as a yoni egg. <laughs> um, so that's 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 that one op, uh, New York Times op-ed writer who's just been sort of just sort of hilariously embarrassing herself and summoning Sir Humpty Dumpty to defend her, uh, who I know is not an egg, Milo. You don't have to correct me. Um, and then we have yeah. uh, just the, our, our last, because we, we've, been, we've, been going, we've been going hard, uh, our last fearless defender of, 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 of truth and, and justice in these dark days of Trump. Um, what exactly happened with uh, Quinn Norton? Is Harley Quinn Norton? Um, okay. So <laughs> they're one and the same. So this young lady, I guess, I, again, I was not previously familiar with her, but they um, 
They announced she was going to be hired to, like, cover tech, whatever that means, to, like, cover tech in the modern world. So I don't really know what that was supposed to be. Like, they like to do all these articles about, like, what what you consume on your screen says about who you are and, like, screen time, good or bad, and crap like that. So I don't know. But they hired this young woman... And then immediately people sort of tweeted out, like, this woman is actually a Nazi. And they showed this old tweet of hers where she said, like, well, I've been friends with many white supremacists. I've never agreed with them, though. And then there were a bunch of tweets of her using the (laughs) N-word and, like, calling people fags. Um, So I guess, like, this all, like, there was this very quick flurry, immediate flurry of activity of people like digging up these awful old tweets and saying like, hey, New York Times, really? What's going on here? And then like about eight hours after they announced the hiring, I guess the New York Times ostensibly had not known of any of this. Oh, and I guess she was supposedly friends with this guy, Weave, who's... um, Uh, Andrew Orenheimer. Yeah, he's the Daily Stormer's sysadmin. He's like... He's the he's the nerd responsible for the spreading of white supremacism. He's a literal swastika tattoo, like American History X style. Yeah, yeah. So she like Top claimed, oh well, Top I was friends with boy. him, but that doesn't mean I agree with him. I have many complicated friendships. So once the the New York Times ostensibly this was all news to them, and so they were kind of like, well, having learned this, we we think we're going to part ways. So. The whole thing is kind of hilarious because of um, the way she responded with these like elaborate pseudo intellectual defenses of herself. She claimed she claimed basically that she was so into these communities, into these alt communities, which I guess is kind of why she was hired. She was hired to cover 4chan and Reddit and all this stuff as a tech reporter. But she she was so into them that she couldn't help picking up their language. Yeah, she just like had to do it because she was like in deep cover. And she was like, well, that's what you do. You like casually call people fags when you're in these communities. So like, what did you expect me to do? I had to blend in. Again, as someone who spent a ton of time in like dodgy internet communities in my impressionable teen years, didn't pick up any of this language. In fact, if anything, it made me like, oh, this is really bad. These people are very unpleasant, and I should definitely mm. be less like this. Well, it's the, uh, and I, my, my big, my, my, I love about this is, again, the New York Times. It's the home of facts, and they just didn't know these facts. <laughs> these, are, these are facts that escape them, but usually they're really good about getting to the facts. I know, they're like to- really the fact experts, but somehow, well, mm. some facts you just have to like, wait, this gets back to the kind of like asking for free content thing. If you just kind of hire someone and don't do much like background reporting, then maybe someone will do it for you for free and like you can be saved from making a bad hire that way. Holy shit, everyone harassing this, like, everyone, like, everyone, like, just, like, replying to this woman on Twitter, calling her, like, a, a dumbass, actually just did the New York Times job for it. They actually are Machiavelli geniuses. That's how you vet people now. Yeah, we're, we're basically all just working for them now. But this time it actually worked. All the people who, like, said they were going to unsubscribe over the Brett Stevens hire 
the New York Times just kind of got passive aggressive about that. Like one of their top editor guys started replying to people on Twitter and saying, oh, you're going to unsubscribe over this, even though we have the best reporters in the world. Oh, maybe you didn't read Brett's article. Um, but this time, I guess it was bad enough that they felt they had to do something. You know, you know what the difference is, is that uh, she used bad language. <laughs> she was she was rude. Yeah. And she Brett actually Stevens. used the words that you shouldn't say. Which is why Trump is worse than the Republicans. So that's what the line is now. You cannot use the N-word, but you can talk about a disease of the Arab mind, and that's still okay. So, um, great. Eternal sunshine of the Arab mind. (laughs) Yeah, she has a lot of, like, passive-aggressive shit up on her page. Um, She says she's hitting pause on her Patreon, which is sad. Well, I mean, I don't have a Patreon. What I have is I have an Amazon wish list with a tracksuit on it. It's size large. I would like someone to buy it for me. It's in my pinned tweet. That's all I want. Riley's a thirst trap. And he wants he wants sexy boys online to buy him stuff so, on his Amazon you know, wish list. This, in exchange so for this like, it's actually a well-known kink, the idea of, uh, of basically twinks appearing in tracksuits. Great. There's a great Vice article about it. Great. Fine. Someone who likes that, do th- buy that for me, please. What are you gonna um, What are you gonna do for them? Are they gonna get some good content in terms of photos? I, I'll I'll basically do whatever. I just really want a tracksuit. But I think what what that shows us about the New York Times, and you correct me if I'm I'm wrong here, Emily, is that just it it is a it is a, an organization that appears to be, or at least from an editorial perspective, way more concerned with respectability than with anything that might be approaching uh, truth or, dare I say, justice. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if they wanted accuracy, they probably wouldn't have, like, fired half their copy editors. But, yeah, I mean, they're, even on the surface, they're very committed to the, like, Hillary-centrist version of being a Democrat. And if you try to go further left than that, they kind of just attack you like they're never going to be interested in representing the views of their readers who are like Bernie supporters further left than Bernie, anything like that. Um, It's also kind of sinister that these like extremely right wing decisions keep getting made, like with Quinn Norton and Brett Stevens, that these people who are actually deeply racist seem to be getting hired. It makes you wonder like what like who at the New York Times actually supports these beliefs? Because they'll say, like, oh, we're just, like, we're doing it in the interest of, like, ideological diversity. Clearly, they don't really care about ideological diversity. So, like, what kind of commitment do they actually have to these views? Well, it's, it's clearly they, they, that, that's the diversity they want, is they want a diversity of different kinds of Republican. Yeah, like, stretching all the way from, like, Hillary supporter to, like, fascist light. A diversity of which which race should we ban next? Isn't teams? All right. Have they gone too far? Uh, it's uh, it's getting a bit late here in here in here in old Blighty, <laughs> so uh, I might uh, I might say uh, Emily and Luke, thank you guys very much for coming on to the show. No problem. Thank you. This was excellent and informative. Um, Milo, buy me a tracksuit. <laughs> Make me coward. <laughs> <laughs> All right, later, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.